Welcome to the Hello. latest episode. Hey, how are you? Pretty good. That was so much easier than the, uh, <laughs> than the usual frustration of the interruption. It's amazing what you could do with one fewer person on the podcast. Uh, welcome to the latest episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer. My name is Catherine Rubino. I'm a senior editor at Above the Law. And today, uh, Chris Williams, also of Above the Law, is joining me, but no Joe Patrice. That explains the joy so early on. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, he's on family leave, so he will be taking a bit of a hiatus from the podcast, but I think that we will soldier on without him pretty well. Yeah, I have faith. <laughs> well, that does mean a distinct lack of sound effects, which I'm not personally bothered by, but I thought I'd lampshade that in the beginning of the podcast before we get into my favorite segment and yours, dun da da small talk. <laughs> so how was this weekend? Uh, I went to see the Barbie movie. That's oh. that was that was my big big thing uh, of the weekend. Left the baby at home. It was fan not by herself. Don't worry. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it was it was wonderful. Um, I went in a pink outfit. Met my girlfriends who were also all done out in pink clothing with a theater. A packed theater is completely sold out. Also uh, filled with people wearing pink. It was amazing. And it made me think a couple of things. First of all, the movie was great. You should definitely go see it. Run, don't walk. Uh, <laughs> it's also done fantastically well, you know, in terms of just the box office. It's shattering, you know, not just sort sort of post-pandemic, are we going back to the movie theater kind of buzz, but I think it has had the fourth highest overall opening weekend of any movie ever. Oh, wow. uh, and and the highest of anything that is not a pre-existing movie franchise. So like mm. Avengers Endgame, right? Part of the, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe that opened higher, but everything ahead of Barbie is a opening into a pre-existing intellectual property that's already been a movie. So a sequel of some sort. So this is the the first sort of Can you believe this is the first Barbie movie? Well, okay, it's the first Barbie movie made for adults. Right? There were definitely okay. like ones that went direct to video, right? Like there's like the Pegasus movie. There, there's a lot. Anyway, if you spend a lot of time in children's TV world or were a child <laughs> who was at all interested in Barbie, you're familiar with the fact that there were several Barbie movies, but not not ones that got major theatrical releases. Right. Those were ones that, you know, kind of direct to video, you know, or streaming services or or whatever. Or, you know, they were not they were not made for adults, whatever. And mm. I thought it was very interesting. First of all, the movie's marketed and created exactly for me uh like literally <laughs> like my age group you know i am the target demographic and it's weird because you don't realize how infrequently you're a target demographic <laughs> when you're when you're not you know i'm not normally the target demographic i don't really think about it just the way i kind of experience movies generally but when you are actually literally like the dead center of the demographic it's different it hits different <laughs> Uh, and I am 100% the exact demographic of person that they are aiming to go see the movie. So I was happy to fork over my money in order to validate the fact that, yes, please make more movies directed at me. It's different. Uh, <laughs> it sort of hits different when it's at. You know, this this makes sense. I, uh, I remember my mom said, my mom went to go see it. She said, I think I saw your coworker's name in the credits. <laughs> so <laughs> you may actually be the demographic proper. <laughs> uh, 
Don't think it was me, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was also a complete lie. Completely yeah. made up. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it is wild. It is different when it's kind of directed to you, but you know, it, it was so much fun. And I also thought between sort of Barbie coming out this summer and doing so extraordinarily well and it really becoming an event for people to go to see, but also the... Um, Taylor Swift errors tour, which, you know, I, I had my baby the week that she was coming to my town. So I did not get to go to the Taylor Swift uh, errors tour, but I wanted to. And if I hadn't, you know, been with child, I would have. But the, my point is just between those two things, I think it's pretty obvious that people are dying for events to get dressed up to go to do, mm-hmm. right? Like both of those things are, I think are highly like sort of fashion related. You know, they're, the whole thing is like, what are you wearing to either of those events? And I think that that really shows that we're, we're even though a lot more of us are staying home and, you know, enjoying our soft pants uh, for working day to day, there's still a market for having that moment. And it's kind of supercharged when we don't have to go to work every single day that we really want to get dressed up on the weekends and have fun outfits and not just, you know, work appropriate outfits. Yeah, definitely. I feel like content aside, the Barbie movie was basically Black Panther for women and femmes. Like the, just the, <laughs> the thing you guilt your friends, you dress up to go see. So that was that was cool. It um, is fantastic. I, I didn't grow up. While I did grow up in a Barbie world, I was never a Barbie girl. You know, mm-hmm. I was sure. more focused on like Dragon Ball Z, what have you. But I will say seeing Ben Shapiro get mad and drop like a 43 minute movie like video ranting against it and like saying that the the nuclear bomb propaganda was better mm-hmm. makes me want to go see it in spite <laughs> so like <laughs> if the marketing ploy of having Barbie released on the same date as I am become destroyer of the box office didn't do it for you I think Ben Shapiro really sold me so shouts out to him you know, you know. never uh, thought yeah. I'd be saying that but it is It is true, though. I think that sort of the backlash against several of these movies has actually propelled them further. Uh, I f- certainly felt the same way about the live-action Little Mermaid. I don't particularly mm-hmm. care for any of the live-action Disney movies. You know, they they don't make new movies anymore. They just remake their cartoons, but with people this time. And I don't particularly care for that. But the fact that conservatives are so hurt over the fact that uh, Halle Berry was, uh, was in it, I was uh, in in mm-hmm. full in I will go I go, went to go see the movie <laughs> bought my nieces the t-shirts uh, just to you know fully make it clear that uh, I supported even if I don't particularly like a live action movie mm-hmm. so what'd you do this weekend I had a good time I, I think I went to the Wissahickon is that a place in Pennsylvania let's say we'll uh, let's say yes okay let's say yes assuming, let's assuming say yes. for the sake of argument yeah there was there was a watering hole uh, that me and some friends went to it was really nice. It was a good opportunity to get outside the house, and uh, I dipped my dipped my feet in some cold ass water. And I made the mistake of not bringing flip flops because everybody's all like happy, and then I'm I'm over there like feel like I'm stepping on stones because <laughs> you know I'm, I'm barefoot. Um, but it was nice. There were a lot of families out. A lot of families out. Looked like some um, Boricuas was out there. They were cooking like with like a. Uh, rice and beans on a on a pot and like on like a campfire. It was it was beautiful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> People had like carne asada out. There was one person that looked like they had you know those you know you go to the supermarket and you get like that plate of sandwiches that's in like the really loud plastic that you can't open at night because everyone will wake up. <laughs> Sure. So, so it was like that, but it was with tacos. Amazing. <laughs> I was like, why didn't I think to do this on my own? <laughs> it, it was it was beautiful. I worked out muscles I didn't know I had. Had pizza afterward. Slept amazing. So, for weekend plans. <laughs> Go dip your feet in some water. 
Fantastic. Well, that's the end of small talk. So <laughs> we can, can dive right into our stories. It seems like there was more to say about the ongoing saga of Clarence Thomas oh, that God. you wrote about this week. It felt like a, a prequel. Uh, speaking of, <laughs> I really enjoyed, what was my, what was it called? I really enjoyed Breaking Bad. So okay. I watched, decided just, you know, got a commitment to the art to watch Better Call Saul, which is the prequel sure. to Breaking sure. Bad. And reading what happened felt like a Better Call Saul episode. There was this, uh, there was this guy, <laughs> Leonard Leo, and he dropped almost $2 million, like $1.8 million to have a video to make Clarence Thomas, you know, look like an upstanding guy, like around when, you know, the confirmation was happening. And there was a scene where Saul Goodman did this exact same thing. <laughs> he needed more people to like, he needed to get his name out there. So they made up this completely fabricated thing, to, you know, get some public attention, which is basically what happened with Clarence Thomas. Because um, as you guys, I'm sure most of you are aware, the associations of Clarence Thomas, pubic hair and wonderful soft drinks <laughs> around the time of his confirmation, he was not doing good in public eye. Uh, part of the money that went into this uh, PR campaign was to scrub Google search results so that when his name came up, you didn't see the sexual assault allegations. Like it was a really, it was a really in-depth, what's it called? Like character elevation. And part of that was also a person writing angry letters, you know, talking bad about Anita Hill. It was all in depth. And this was 25 years ago. So mm -hmm. there's never been a point where Clarence Thomas wasn't a, a picked candidate, you know? Listen, it was almost $2 million well spent, right? Because you get a lifetime appointment and uh, mm. cheap at half the price, I imagine. Mm. Especially, you know, Leonard Leo, not just sort of your your average bear, right? He's the, the head of the Federalist Society and was the person who wrote the entire short list of Supreme Court justices for Donald Trump as well. So he's definitely has his, I think if you could point to any single individual that has had the most influence on creating our current court, you'd have to, you'd have to say Leonard Leo, right? Mm. More than any individual president, more than even the each justice by themselves. I think that Leo probably has had the most direct influence on the composition of the current Supreme Court than anybody, period. And this just shows that he was he was playing that game 30 years ago. And like, you got to like, you got to respect the, the implementation because, <laughs> you know, when the dirt gets out 25 years later, it's done. It's going to do. But yeah. Very much the long game. Also, I think that what we've learned this summer, I think in particular, is that we've never really gotten too in depth into the ethics of the Supreme Court before. Mm -hmm. And and it's all coming out now. Now all the all the chickens have come home, right? Isn't that a saying? Chickens coming home and, and this is this yeah, this is where we are now, right? And yeah. and finally finally the general public, not just sort of the legal nerds or people who make their living talking about the Supreme Court, actually care about it and are wanting to talk about it and are concerned about what it means for the institution. Yeah, I remember I had a jurisprudence course uh, with a well-respected professor, and I think he was doing it for the sake of, you know, devil's argument because we didn't have a gunner in the class. <laughs> he was like, well, you know, can't we just trust the Supreme Court justices and justices generally? I mean, he took an oath and it took everything. I mean, he'd be like, come on, man. <laughs> like, I mean, I, you know. think, I, I think that that was historically the mainstream view, though, right? Is that... I mean, the, yes, definitely the mainstream view, but not the mainstream practice. Well, well, but I mean, is I think that like 
generally speaking, you know, leaving things to a judge's discretion seems like a great idea. It seems like a way to mm-hmm. not overregulate and create rules that, uh, you know, became more uh, onerous than they needed to be. You know, leave it to discretion. Judges will do the right thing. Judges uh, want to avoid even the appearance of impropriety was mm-hmm. kind of the line that we were sold, mm-hmm. you know, and I think believed for, for a very long time, you know, that along with like prosecutorial discretion, I think were things that in law school you are you're fed as this is the kind of check on the system and and what we're seeing is it was a lie (laughs) yeah i mean this is the this is a story that shows par excellence that judges just had a really good pr team yeah they were thinking about pr 30 years ago yeah that i think is something that not everybody was 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 clocking back in the day Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. So our next story, actually, our colleague Joe Patrice wrote last week, but uh, you you talked about gunners, and this is... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this is a gunner story, a gunners gone rogue story. Uh, it was someone that... Uh, anonymously was asking the internet whether it would be okay to mention in their wedding vows their class rank in law school. No, no, it's not. (laughs) Done. Next. Who else has a question? (laughs) It's one of those things where like, I'm, it's kind of like a Jonathan Swift thing. Like, I'm still not sure that it was just parody. (laughs) I don't know if this actually happened. I think it was real. I think it was too. Here's the thing. I've been to a couple, many, many, many weddings in my day, right? And several have been um, a lot. Maybe even the majority of weddings I've been to have involved at least one person who's gone to law school. Several who that have involved multiple people who've gone, well, you know, when you've gone to law school, that tends to be a lot of the people you know. <laughs> but so I've been to plenty of lawyer weddings and no one has ever mentioned their class rank before, but there've definitely <laughs> been things at weddings, lawyer weddings that have been like a little cringe, a little cringe where like, I, I, I don't know, maybe I just don't have the same joy in my heart for the profession uh, <laughs> that other people do. But I'm like, really this, this, that this is the moment you're deciding to do this, you know, this, this thing that is kind of lawyerly. Is it a joke? Are you in on the joke? <laughs> 
Okay, so keeping keeping anonymity, what's like what's been the most egregious? Like somebody cite a statute as to why they'd stay with them forever, or like they've been definitely legal references or jokes and speeches, and, and you know, listen. It, it is what it is. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, especially, you know, folks meet in law school or, you know, the fact that they're both share the profession uh, is very much related to their meet cute. I get it. But but, you know, there, there's 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 a way there's a way to do it. Right. And so, you know, I've, I've definitely seen things where I've always been like, let's just gloss over that quickly kind of moment, <laughs> you know, whatever. I've seen things, especially if people are very proud of the fact that they went to law school. They, you know, whatever. But this seems just too much, too much. It doesn't even, there's no natural way. And apparently uh, the the person who wrote this uh, on the internet said, you know, well, my partner is the reason why, the support for my partner is the reason why I was able to get such a fantastic class rank. So I want to mention that in the wedding vows. Mm -hmm. And that is not, not the time or the place. And listen, like if this was, the best man speech or like the maid of honor speech that was mentioning, Oh, you know, and the only reason she was ev- even able to pull off the number three ranking at mm-hmm. blah, 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 law school was because of you. Like I could see it like that. That may be more of the, the place for it, but it certainly is not in your actual vows. Mm-hmm. I'm sure of that. <laughs> you know, think about it. Like your vows, that's like, that's when people start getting out the handkerchiefs, right? That's when people start mm-hmm. crying. That's like the moment you don't want to be like, you don't want to take them out of that emotion and be like, wow, you're a douche. Oh, no, you don't understand. That is the emotion. The handkerchiefs come out when she mentions, <laughs> and that was Frank six. <laughs> yeah. Cause you start crying. It's like, oh my God, he's about to marry that person. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's fair. There's lots of them, different emotions that people can feel yeah. at a wedding. <laughs> and my and my thing is when it when it when I first read the post, I was like, oh, this is just great. We should eat babies satire. But then the responses got more unhinged. And then don't at the point believe when, it's satire. But then like once the post got deleted, I was like, oh, this is an actual person. <laughs> <laughs> this is the damage control that you know, Elon Musk would do if he had a lick of sense, you know, deleting the evidence <laughs> instead of retweeting. I'm like, oh, no, this is somebody named Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it didn't didn't go over well, let's just say. Mm-mm. Yeah, and maybe you're right. I, I, listen, I'm all for personalizing your wedding, right? Like, if there's... I, there's there's two schools of thought, really, I guess, when it comes to wedding vows, right? The first is that you say the same words that your parents said, that your grandparents said, and there's some sort of power in that tradition. Whatever. Mm. It's also, you know, I'm not obeying shit. So, you know, may, may, maybe we, we, we deviate from tradition there a little bit. But uh, there's that kind of worldview. And then there's that highly personalized worldview because, you know, there's not there's no other wedding that will marry these two individuals, so it shouldn't sound like every other wedding. And I, I, I have some sympathy for that. And I, and I don't think it's even necessarily problematic to talk about law school or about the person supporting you through law school, because 
let's be clear, it sucks. The fact that you can keep a relationship going throughout law school, you probably do deserve a fair amount of kudos for that, right? Like yeah. That was a pretty low point. You still managed to get a relationship that survived <laughs> by the end of it. Good job. Good job. Two points. You know, but there's a way to do it without yeah. wanting without wanting to sound like you deserve a pat on the back. Yeah, I feel like you can do something like, if we made it through tort together, we can make it through other heartache. Like, that's nice. Absolutely. Or, you know, maybe if only one of them was in law school, I don't know if they both were in law school or whatever, but, you know, like, mm-hmm. you supported me through contracts. Mm-hmm. Here's the contract for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Super cheesy, but I'd be like a doll rather than like, ugh, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing, too. Like, there's a way to do it that makes it cheesy. Well, cheesy is an okay emotion, I think, for people to yeah. feel it's when good. you're having your when you your wedding vows. But but the yeah. whole like yikes, you don't you don't want anyone to hear anything at your wedding and feel yikes. And maybe, maybe like 10% of people won't, but that's still a lot of people. You don't want any percentage of people being like, yikes. Let alone a significant portion. If anything, if this internet post has taught us anything, it was that a significant amount of people felt yikes. It was so (laughs) bad. People that were in attendance had pause. That's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) And our last story is about the dangers of social media. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, this is the sort of thing which uh, in some respects I think seems very obvious, which is don't post on social media about a case that's ongoing. That's it. That, 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 that's the takeaway, which should be very obvious. But this uh, this particular lawyer uh, had a pretty big a consequence. They It was a plaintiff's firm got a million dollar 1.5 million something uh verdict on behalf of their client great job good job mm-hmm. unfortunately they're gonna have to do run it back do it all the hell again because uh the judge has ordered a brand new trial because of the plaintiff's attorney's social media posts they posted reels not even cool enough to do tiktoks you guys Mm-mm. posted reels about about not just the sort of the le- their legal practice in general. I think they had a post that's like, three lies that we tell every juror, mm-hmm. which, you know, probably doesn't make you feel great if you're one of the jurors on his case, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but also had specific uh, information about this. This It was a, a car accident, a tort case about a car accident, et cetera, and had specific information. Um, and so the judge, uh, Judge Rhonda Colvin in Georgia, said that there was specifically identifiable information about the parties. Uh, and it was more than just kind of of general interest and in that you have to sort of balance prior restraint, First Amendment kind of considerations before you make this kind of extraordinary step, step of ordering a new trial. But then in this case, it was justified. <laughs> we, we're going we're gonna to need a new trial. My thing is, this whole thing is stupid. But second, have some shame. The video is still up. Yeah. Like, if you yeah. read the article and go to the link, it's still yeah. this. I'm yeah, 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 you can still watch the videos. Yeah, you, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. watch the videos. <laughs> yeah, learn from your lesson, dude. If something costs me six figures, I'm deleting the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting, you know, this post wasn't just about, it wasn't sort of generalized out. It was talking about the specific county that the case was taking place in, some details about the defendant, including some stuff, which I think, I think the judge correctly points out that could really impact a potential juror and, you know, 
it's not stuff that's appropriate for jurors to hear things like that the defendant had made an offer to uh, settle the case and mm-hmm. in the TikTok or not the TikTok in the video he referenced that oh this was sort of evidence that they must be guilty or must be liable because they've made this mm-hmm. offer to settle but as the judge correctly points out in their order there's plenty of reasons to settle that do not actually admit liability as right. you know, cause like lawyers are expensive and there's a risk associated with it. And it's sometimes just cheaper and easier and faster to settle a case rather than have it go to trial. That is right. a very logical thing that our system is actually set up right in order to encourage settlements because it is better for everyone. If it's a settlement rather than it goes to trial, that's sort of one of the underpinnings of our whole system. And but in the video, the lawyer uses this fact and seems to implicate that, well, that means they must be liable. And you can imagine that if a juror had heard that, that'd be deeply problematic because that's the sort of thing Mm -hmm. that is, you know, not allowed in court. (laughs) Right. And that the judge would be able to prevent from happening in the courtroom. But when you put it on social media and you make it clear, not just that these things happen, but a potential juror would be able to know that it's the or from the details that you've provided, that it is the case that they're sitting on. That's inevitable. It's not even, it's not, it's, it's a real problem. And that's, that's why you get in, have to get a new trial. I mean, there are, there are times when it makes sense to go to the court of public opinion when you can't go to court. This isn't one of them. And and I'm not even sure. Yes, go go. Court of public opinion is is all well and good, but when you're providing information that's identifiable and that's information that you know you would not be able to be able to present to the jury because you know the judge would prevent you from doing that because it would unfairly bias the jury, and you're putting it out there in the low key hopes that a juror will find that information. Yeah. 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 You're going to, you're going to, you're going to have to have a new trial. And also just like interpersonally, that's the way to burn bridges. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've never been a plaintiff. I've never been on the plaintiff's side in a real way. Like never at a plaintiff's firm, I guess it's some of the firms that I was at. Mm. Some of the cases where we were in fact plaintiffs, but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I was, I've never worked at a plaintiff's firm. I think it's a different ethos, which is, which is great. I think we need, we need good plaint. We need solid, good plaintiff's firms in this country. Our system is set up that we only get things done when there's a financial negative or neg- sort of negative incentive associated with them. So yes, we need plaintiff's attorneys for a lot of these things in order to get actual change. That's the way our country kind of works for good or probably for bad. But we need good plaintiff's lawyers. But I, And so I don't know if this is part of just a different um, kind of vibe at, mm. at, at a plaintiff's firm where they're less concerned about burning bridges, which is fine. But this seems like it's just costing money, right? Because yeah. <laughs> all the time, to- like, right, time is literally money when you're an attorney. And I don't know the fee structure or arrangement, you know, in this particular plaintiff's case. Perhaps it's a contingency fee or whatever. Maybe it's based on contingency plus the number of hours. Who knows? But you've got to do it all again. That's one less case you're going to be able to take from somebody else because you're going back to trial. Which, you know, if anybody's ever done litigation, you know that trial is one of the most time intensive things that you do. Trials take a lot of time and effort and you've got to do it all again. I will say if they somehow get a verdict that's like 10 times 1.5, that is a finesse. Like it won't happen. But if it does, yo, (laughs) I'm going straight to Instagram. (laughs) Reels, you know. Uh, well, uh, trial has been scheduled for later this summer. So uh, still TBD uh, on the final resolution of that. 
And uh, with that, I think that we are done for the day. Uh, you can check us out always on AboveTheLaw.com. Um, I'm on various social media at Catherine One. That's the numeral one. Chris is at Rights for Rent. Uh, you should definitely be listening to all of the podcasts on the Legal Talk Network's catalog. Uh, you should also be checking out my podcast, The Jabot, about diversity in the legal industry. You should definitely be reading Above the Law. You can also get a hold of any of the Above the Law folks at tips at com by email. Um, is there anything else that I'm supposed to say? Maybe See you next week. Unfair- See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.